Isn't it great to have a father and son read the scripture for us before the, the message today? Thank you, guys. I appreciate that very much. Um, I, you know, I forgot to pay attention to whether they read the Luke passage or the Isaiah passage first. Um, I really meant for the Luke passage. I know that's backwards, right? The New Testament passage first and then the Old Testament passage. But it's because the Old Testament passage gives a great deal more detail about the things that are said about the child that is to be born. We, I spoke with you last week about Emmanuel. He shall be called Emmanuel. And we talked about that the God is with us. And I spoke about being born of a virgin. It is absolutely essential that we understand that that virgin birth is what made Christ to be God in the flesh. He was God and He was born in the flesh. He was born of a virgin. But the passages that we've read this morning talk about the government shall be upon His shoulder. That means that if the government is upon His shoulder, then He is a king. He is a ruler. And I want to speak to you today about being born, Emmanuel, born a king. Now, is in, all, in both of those verses, I started to say all both. That's good Swahili, but that's terrible English. Uh, they really do say it that way in Swahili, all both. In both of the scriptures, there are three things that are, that are common to that passage. Uh, both of the scriptures mention his birth. Both of the scriptures uh, mention the names or titles by which he will be called. And both of the scriptures talk about the nature of his kingdom. And so that's what I want to speak to you about today. Uh, Emmanuel, born a king. But first of all, let's look at his birth. Um, it says that concerning his birth, he will be great, will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now there, as you can see by the words that I've highlighted in the scripture, there are three different signs in those two verses of Luke chapter 1 that he was to be a king. He, it talks about the throne of his father David that he will reign over the house of Jacob, that means over all of Israel, and that of his kingdom, his would be an everlasting kingdom. He, it, he was born of a virgin, but he was born to be a king. Listen, he was not just born to be a king, he was born to be the king. He was born king of kings and lord of of lords. Praise God, he was born a king. There's only one problem with that. You think about how he was born. There was nothing in his birth that would indicate that it was a birth of a king. It says in chapter 2 verse 7 of the Gospel of Luke, 
And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Uh, that, that means just rags. And laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Jesus, who was born a king, was born into very lowly circumstances. Now, you know, I love the... I, I think that the name of the movie... Uh, Aaron is the nativity. Um, it, it is a graphic description. It's a movie w that helps us understand what it was like for Joseph and Mary to make that journey from northern Israel through Jerusalem on south to Bethlehem where the Christ child would be born. Now, you know, we have trouble picturing that in our minds. You can describe it. But uh, the millennials in the crowd will think about, okay, we go to the nearest airport and, you know, and, and we catch the commuter flight and, and because it's just a short flight. Or, or maybe we go and we catch a bus and you know, we, we ride the big luxury bus. Or, or maybe we get on a train and, and we get there. But to picture, to really understand what it was like for them to walk or maybe if, if they were able to have a donkey, to be able to travel those miles, even though for us, I mean, we get on an on a interstate highway, and we think nothing of traveling 500 miles in a day. You have to understand, they walked. They're, the roads, the paths that they traveled were, were rough. It, it was a difficult time. It was a difficult situation. And so what they did in traveling from northern Israel with her large with child ab about to give birth was an amazing, was a desperate, a dangerous journey. We don't get that. But then when they got to Bethlehem, because it's the city of David, and because the Roman government had declared a census and all the descendants of David living in Israel at the time were supposed to go and register in the city of David, of, of Bethlehem. I mean, you're talking about a huge influx of people so that all the guest houses, all the caravan parks, if you will, it, caravan park in that day meant a very different thing than it does today. Uh, every place was occupied so that it says... There was no place for them in the inn. Don't think Holiday Inn. Uh, think a place where the caravans came into a large camping area and camped together. You know, when our, our, my kids grew up in Kenya, East Africa, and they went to a Christian school in Nairobi, Kenya, and we hosted um, the, our kids uh, they, had a they had a thing they called The Thing. That was the name, Aaron, of, of their youth group, The Thing. And so we hosted The Thing at our house at Christmas time. And I came up with this brilliant idea. I occasionally do things brilliant. but uh, they <clears throat> I, I called the parents of those kids. And the deal was it would not be appropriate to show up. At, I mean, we lived behind hedges and fence and and, and everybody lived that way. Don't think because we were foreigners that we lived that way. Everybody there lives that way with high security. 
So you don't just walk up to somebody's door and start singing. Okay, so how we're going to take these kids caroling. And so the way we did that, I made an appointment with each of the families of the parents of those kids, and we would go sing caroling to them. Now, this afternoon, our group will go caroling, led by Sue Goss, and carol in the neighborhoods, and they'll just go door to door. We couldn't do that. So I made an appointment, but I pulled a trick on the kids. I told the parents, you're going to be asked if we can come in for cocoa and cookies. And I need you to say, no, that's not convenient. Well, they did that. And you can just imagine, the kids don't know about this. And you can just imagine, when we got to the door... And, and we're singing, and everybody in the, that's at home comes out and enjoys the singing. And one of the kids, I always ask, hey, ask your mom if we can come in for hot cocoa and cookies. And so the kid would say, hey, mom, it's cold out here. It's not. It's hot. It's summertime. But can, can we come in? You know, it's Christmas. So can we come in for cocoa and cookies? And they would say, oh, no, you, you know that we haven't cleaned the house or, you know, we're... They, they came up with some excuse, and they said no. That, by about the third or fourth house, the kids were really upset, mystified and upset. And one of the girls said, my mom will let us come in. And I just, I just I had to laugh because I knew she would not. And so we sang at their house, and Rebecca said to her mom, Mary Ann, said, Mom, can we come in for cocoa and cookies? And Marianne said, you know, I would really like to do that. But, and then she gave the excuse, and Rebecca's like, oh, Mom, you know, she's about to cry. It was that way all night long. Everywhere we went, they asked. We came back to our house, and I said, don't worry, guys. We've got refreshments. We've got hot chocolate. We've, we've got cookies. And we got to the gate, and the gate at our house onto our property was locked, and the guard was not there. And we pounded on the gate, we blew the horn, and nobody came to the gate. And then finally Brenda came to the gate and said, I'm sorry, there's no room in the inn. And they got the point. Of course, then we got to go in and have cake and cookies and all kinds of things. But I don't think we understand. Here is the King of Heaven, and there's no room in the inn. Is there room in your heart for Him? Have you let Him come in? He was born of a virgin, the Son of God. He came to save us but there was no room for him in the end. You know, one of the things that I see in that the place that he was born was, in fact, some people say a cave, some people say a stable. Uh, the cave was, in fact, a stable. He was born in a barn. That's an old expression. Were you born in a barn? Jesus was born in a barn. And he was laid in a feeding trough. Manger sounds real fancy. Guess what? It's a feeding trough. He was born in a barn. He was laid in a feeding trough. But understand this. Don't miss this. 
one day every knee on earth will bow before Him and will confess that Jesus is Lord. My point is, the circumstances of His birth did not determine who He was. Please, as you sing the songs, the carols, and as you think about Christmas, don't miss that message for you. Sometimes we do not do a good job of looking at ourselves and thinking about what Christmas means to us and how these messages apply to us. And I want you to understand the circumstances of your birth do not determine who you are. Do you hear me? It doesn't matter what race, what nationality you were born in. It does not matter which side of the tracks, so to speak, whether it's the poor neighborhood or the rich neighborhood. That does not determine who you will become. Your birth does not determine. That's not who you are and that's not who you will become. Please understand, just as God had a purpose for His Son, and that is He would be a king, He shall be great. I believe with all my heart that Jesus looked at you on the day you were born, and He said of you, you shall be great. No, you're not the Son of God. No, you're not going to be a king. Well, maybe not. But God had a purpose for you. And He intended for you to do something great for Him. To shine for His glory. And He wants to make something great of you. Realize His purpose. Follow Jesus. Fulfill your God-given destiny. Doesn't matter where you were born. That's not who you are. Who you are is who God says you are when you come to Him. I want you to think about not just His birth, but also His titles. You know, when I wrote this down and had it printed in your worship guide, some of you do not know. Oh, somebody knows that there is a worship guide that you can write your notes in. Praise God. Some of you don't know that there is notes for you to write and blanks to fill in in the worship guide. Some of you do because some of you said, you need to slow down and give us time to do the writing in the, in the notes. Well, when I first gave this to Linda to, to print, it said his names. And I realized not everybody will get that because we don't do that. I mean, in... in the Bible, people, people's names describe something about them. You know, we did that in Kenya. When a kid would be named, and specifically in a couple of tribes, they would be named according to which day of the week they were born on. You know, you might, your name might be Monday. And, and I thought about that and I laughed because I realized I do know somebody well, I don't know them, but I mean, it, it's a character we're familiar with. Uh, anybody remember Wednesday? Yeah? 
Wednesday. Wednesday was the youngest daughter on the Adams family, in case you're mystified by that. Does that mean that Wednesday was born on a Wednesday? I, I don't know. Maybe, anyway, maybe the writers of the program just like the name Wednesday. But in Kenya, you know, I met people who were named Monday. Sometimes their name described the weather on the day they were born. And so there's this guy named Rainy. Not in English, but I mean his Swahili or tribal language name means rainy. Somebody else's name, Dark. But that doesn't describe who they will be. It describes the circumstances of their birth. Names don't necessarily work that way. Uh, most of you don't know my name. Uh, I know because some of you call me Linda. Somebody did that last night. <laughs> Stan, was that you? Well, I understand because, okay, it's Lynn and Brenda. But I call Brenda Bren. Now, you're not allowed to. I do that. That's, that's my name for her. But, but because it's Lynn and Brenda and I call her Bren, people inadvertently it comes out of their mouths Bren and Linda well I'm not Linda okay <laughs> and and actually Lynn is not my name my my parents named me after my father and my name is Leonard now nobody calls me Leonard I think for a while in second grade I tried to get people to call me Leonard but my mom when I was born looked at this little baby and said, wow, Leonard is too big a name for this little guy. So she shortened it and called me Lynn. And somebody asked, well, how do you spell that? And, she, and I, how she got L-Y-N-N -N out of Leonard, I don't know. And I've asked her way back when, and she couldn't tell me. She said, I don't know, it just sounded good. Now, the only time I ever really heard my full name was when I was in trouble. And then the whole thing came out. Leonard Herschel Rayburn Jr. You know, all of it. I, I knew I was in desperate trouble. Well, our names really don't tell who we are, do they? But titles do. Some of you call me pastor. And, and that is a term of great respect. I appreciate that. Some of you insist on calling me Brother Lynn, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with just being called Lynn, as, as long as you don't spit when you say it, you know, Lynn. You know, anyway, titles are the things more than names that, that mean something to us. Have you thought about the titles by which Jesus is called? For to us a child is born... To us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Now, I, I spoke in our study group that that term, notice that in the ESV, they put the comma after two words. Now, the reason they did that is because every other title on there is two Hebrew words. Yeah, I know that one's three English but it's only two in Hebrew. And so they said, well, this since all of these are two Hebrew words, that one has to be two Hebrew words. 
The trouble with that is that that term wonderful is a word that can stand on its own. And we sing the song, Isn't the name of Jesus wonderful? You know, and there's an Old Testament precedent for that. If you, if you do a search or if you Google, why do you ask me my name? That's, that's sort of a... The, at that moment, it is Jesus. Before He was born in the flesh, He is called in the Old Testament when He appears... He is called the angel, that is the messenger, of the Lord. When you read the angel of the Lord, that's probably Jesus you're talking about, even though he is not yet born in the flesh. By the way, that's one of the reasons he's wonderful, because he was pre-existent. He always existed. He is eternal. But that angel of the Lord... Manoah and his wife, the parents of Samson, said, What is your name? He said, Why do you ask me my name? It is wonderful. Now that, that term means either unpronounceable or beyond understanding, miraculous. Jesus is all of the above. He is wonderful. What does Jesus mean to you? I told the class this morning, Larry, before we left there, I hope that when you're asked, what does Jesus mean to you? You can say, He is wonderful. Counselor. That word counselor is a word that almost means word. Now in John chapter 1, it, it says the word was in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is a similar, a close word. It is a word that means word or wisdom. Listen, Jesus is wisdom in the flesh. He is wisdom personified. And He is to you the giver of wisdom and understanding. He is the one who will counsel you, who will direct you if you will allow Him to. That's who Jesus is. It's not His name, it is His title. Wonderful. Jesus is wonderful. Jesus is counselor. Jesus is mighty God. Now that term, mighty God, we would turn around and say, God Almighty. And that is a very special title for someone in the Old Testament. It speaks of the power of God. Listen to me, God has power to direct you, to change you, to save you. We depend upon Jesus, the mighty God. By the way, that term, if nothing else in this, described Jesus as deity. That term, calling Him mighty God in the Old Testament era, and we're talking about Isaiah. Think about how far in the past that he's writing, and yet he is saying a child will be born, and he is almighty God. I can't imagine what the people who heard Isaiah say that thought. 
I can't imagine what they would have understood. It would have been mind-blowing for them to think that the Almighty God will be born as a son in the flesh. But that's who Jesus is. He is Mighty God. Not only that, but Everlasting Father. Now some take that because it's in the Old Testament and they, they say, well, maybe the prophet did not understand the Trinity. Or, or maybe that term Father in this place means protector. And it is true that the, word that the Hebrew word that's there is used to describe one who protects. But also do not forget that Jesus said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. And he said, I and the Father are one. That doesn't change the Trinity, but it emphasizes the unity. When you talk about tr the Trinity of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, you have to understand you're talking about tri-unity. Three in one. Not like three in one oil, but three persons in one person, the eternal God. Jesus is the eternal, everlasting, eternal Father. That's who He is. He's also the Prince of Peace. He is the Prince, the King that was born, born of the Spirit, born of a virgin, to bring an everlasting and an ever-increasing peace. Who is Jesus to you? You see, He was raised. I talked about the circumstances of His birth. He was raised by the carpenter who married His mother. The carpenter, Joseph, was not His father. He was His foster father, if you will. He was raised by the carpenter who married his young mother and he grew up poor in a nondescript little town. If you've been to Nazareth, even today, Nazareth is pretty much a nothing little town. In Jesus' day, it was even more so. It was not on any main highway. It was not the focus, really, of anything. He grew up in the, in the carpenter's house, Joseph, in a nondescript, a nothing little town. But nevertheless, his name, the name of Jesus, has changed the course of human history. There is no name like his name. What I want you to understand, get this, the way he was braised, the way he was brought up, did not determine who He was, who He became. And that's true for you. I said before about your birth that we have trouble sometimes making personal, applying to ourselves the principles, the lessons of Christmas. And here is another. Friend, the person you are is not determined by the way you were raised. You have a choice. God can lift you above your raising. Follow Jesus. 
I realize that when I'm talking to a group of people like this, there's a possibility that there is some young woman here who was molested. That does not determine who you will become. You do not have to be a victim for the rest of your life. Jesus can give you healing. Jesus can make you new again. The circumstances under which you were raised does not determine who you will become. You say, well, I was raised in poverty and I'll always be poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You see, if you respond to that in anger and in bitterness, you're turning away from what God can make you to be. You are not who you were raised. You are who God makes you to become. The circumstances of your birth, the circumstances of your raising, don't make you who you are. If you come to Christ, He can wash you clean, wash away every sin, every doubt, take away your fear, make you bold in the Spirit to follow Him and to treat others differently than you were treated. You don't have to become who you were raised to be. Then, finally, I want to talk about it. I've talked about His birth. I've talked about His titles. I want to talk about His kingdom. His kingdom. You see, we use these terms of the increase of His government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice, righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. So when you talk about the kingdom of Jesus Christ, what kingdom are we talking about? You know, I, I would remind you that when Jesus came preaching the gospel, the good news, the good news is the kingdom of God has come near to you. Okay, they understood the physical kingdom that was a promise to David of his kingdom lasting forever and that one day one of his descendants would sit on his throne. They thought the physical kingdom. Jesus was talking about a spiritual kingdom. The kingdom of God has come near unto you. But when he was asked about that, he said, my kingdom is not of this earth. You see, he was talking about a spiritual kingdom. If you have trusted Christ, you are a part of His spiritual kingdom. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of Christ that is present now, was present during His, his time on earth and is still present today, is a spiritual kingdom and you need to be a part of it. You need to come to Him in repentance and faith and be saved of your sins to be a part of His kingdom. By the way, that kingdom is not the church. The church is a physical expression of the kingdom of Christ. The church is visible rather than invisible. The church 
has specific requirements for membership and is held accountable for our ministry and for our teaching. The kingdom is a large thing and the church is a part of that. And people who are in the kingdom may not be members of the church. Now that's a little technical, but it's something you need to understand. That's why we can rejoice when somebody gets saved, no matter what church they're in. Because the kingdom of Christ is expanding. Praise God for the expansion of the kingdom of God. That doesn't make them a member of the church or of our church. But you need to be a part of the kingdom before you can be a part of the church. And you need to be a part of that kingdom. Now, what kingdom is he talking about? That spiritual kingdom that has existed from Christ until now? No, he's talking about a future kingdom when Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, will come again and will set up a physical kingdom on this earth occupying in Jerusalem a kingdom that will rule the world. But that physical kingdom will be different than any kingdom we know of now. It will be a kingdom of righteousness and justice. Those are not just political promises from God. God is not a politician. And when Jesus sets up His kingdom, it will be the end of all politics. Praise God for that. I, I look forward to the end of politics when Jesus rules and reigns in justice and in righteousness. And that kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom when at the end. Now understand, again, this is a little heady theology, but the kingdom presently is a spiritual kingdom, an invisible kingdom. But when Jesus comes back, He's going to set up a kingdom and reign on earth for a thousand years. Now, I know there's a lot of people don't believe what the book of Revelation says about that thousand years, but He repeats it seven or eight times. So how can you not believe it's literally a thousand years that He will reign? And there, His reign will be different than anything the world has ever seen. But then at the end of the thousand years, there will be a change on this in heaven and in earth and His kingdom, which we will call heaven. The permanent kingdom will last forevermore. His is a kingdom that you need to be a part of. His is a kingdom that you need to look forward to. I said the king is coming again. What will you say to him when he comes? How, you, how will you face him when he comes? If you don't know Jesus, you've never been saved. How can you face him when he comes again? You need to be ready. You need to be ready for that coming. He's going to accomplish this. He is the mighty God. Listen, God wants to work through you. 
He wants you to be a part of His kingdom so that He can work through you to accomplish His purpose. Let Him in. Let Him into your heart. Let Him into your life. Let Him use you to glorify Him and to accomplish His purpose. I, I hope you'll allow me a personal moment because almost two weeks ago I was studying the, this sermon, preparing this sermon, and I looked up from my Bible and I looked at my wife, my wife who was perhaps born on the wrong side of the tracks, my wife who was a bus kid, her family didn't come to church, she wanted to come to church and she would get up and get ready and go out and get on the church bus and go to church. This is the wife who followed me to Africa and she is the one who was responsible for the spirituality of our children. I will confess that it was her. And I looked at her and I said, Brenda, the person you are is not determined by the circumstances of your birth. The person you are is not determined by the way you were raised. You have chosen to pursue God. You have sought Him and you have found Him. He dwells in you and He works through you mightily person you are now is the person you were meant to be your loving husband Lynn guys what would your wife write to you girls what would your brother what would your husband what would your son write to you I beg you follow Jesus seek him with all your heart and you will find him he wants to work mightily through you let him it's your choice let him work through you